Welcome to the Full Contact Fantasy Football Show with your hosts, Nick Zapina and Sharif Phillips-Keaton. All right, week six is in the books. We are heading towards week seven, and I am joined with Sharif Phillips-Keaton, and we have a lot to cover. Obviously, uh, we changed our format from uh, last from from what we were doing. So now we are covering pretty much game by game and hitting at all of the the fantasy implications, the news, the noise, trying to decipher and just you know go through all that. So before I before we get into all the nitty gritty details of week six, Sharif, what's going on, my man? Hey, how's it going, Nick? Uh... It's going well. It's a Tuesday, so it's the best day of the week, or I guess second best day of the week, because also, you know, that's when we do our shows, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, this was a crazy week, and obviously last night was frustrating for anyone who needed Ezekiel Elliott to carry them to victory. I, being one of those unfortunate people, it was not a good day. But other than that, you know, a good week of football. And I'm ready to break it all down. Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to get pretty emotional on this one because there were definitely some things that I felt strongly about. Um, obviously, some things that you felt strongly about. And uh, yeah, I, I'm i excited to get into it. But man, there's some things that uh, I was just so bothered by. But we'll get there. We'll get there in due time. So we'll start off with you know some of the earlier games. So uh, Tennessee, Houston, and one of the things that has been pretty much, uh, you know, it's been going around is David Johnson. You know, there was the big trade to acquire David Johnson that sent DeAndre Hopkins to uh, Arizona, and now you're kind of looking at David Johnson and wondering like what he is for the rest of the season, and. I don't know. I think that he's actually kind of hard to decipher. But Sharif, what are your thoughts on our guy, David Johnson? I got to say, uh, I mean, this has been talked about for a long time, but it with David Johnson, it just feels like a long fall from grace, man. Like, I mean, granted, he is still serviceable right now. Um, but I, I, I don't know. If you can trust David Johnson as anything more than a low end RB two, and uh, this is a guy I think he ranks like you know between eleven and twenty when it comes to like you know fantasy running backs, and that's obviously what we're talking about. But just seeing this guy and he's getting consistent volume, so it's not like that's the issue. It's just he's not being overly efficient, you know, even with this past game. Uh, against the Titans, he got 19 carries for only 57 yards, which is literally three yards a carry. He only had two targets, uh, caught one of them for 12 yards. And it feels like all of his games have been that. (laughs) And I mean, Houston doesn't, I mean, this has been, you know, a theme ever since I guess we could say Deshaun Watson got there the offensive line is not that good in pass protection and I'm pretty sure they're not that good in you know run blocking so but the good thing about David Johnson he gets the majority of the snaps um much dismay of people 
like yourself, Nick, who are, I wouldn't call you a Duke Johnson truther, but whatever's right below that, because everybody wants Duke Johnson to finally, you know, get some run and every team he's on just refuses to let it happen. So, but at this point, David Johnson is a very unexciting RB2, and that's purely based based on volume. Yeah, I agree. He's kind of like a floor play. Like, um, you look at his half PPR, you know, points by game, and it's, you know, you get 18.4 points week one, six, 11.6, 10.2, 11.3, 13.4. It feels like there's just never going to be a game where he pops off. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm a big fan of David Johnson. I think that he's an incredible guy. But you can definitely see where that explosiveness, that change of, you know, that burst that he had when he was, you know, coming onto the scene around 2016, it's just not really there anymore. And I agree. He he does remain an RB2 with, you know, occasional RB1 upside. But, I mean, you can't bank on that RB1 upside. It's just when there is a guy who's getting this many touches, which he is, I mean, it, it's hard to um, it's hard to find those kinds of guys, and that's the the same kind of argument for a guy like Kenyon Drake is that his usage is there, which means you know he has RB two value. He's just not exciting, and I, I totally agree there. And it is kind of a shame because I've been rooting for David Johnson to make a you know a return, and I hope that he hope that he has it in him. I hope that we start to see more, but as of right now, you can't value him as anything more than RB two. Before we move on to anything other than that, I, I did have to touch on the other Johnson in that backfield that you alluded to. Yeah, man, Duke Johnson has done nothing but perform when he's given the touches. And he has never been given the touches outside of one year in Cleveland where he was used pretty uh, he was used pretty excessively, and he ended up as like a, I think a RB15 on the season for fantasy. And he was actually pretty darn good. I would love to see an opportunity for Duke Johnson to actually be not exactly a bell cow, but a lead back. It, it doesn't, it's not coming, but I can wait. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> What's that? No, I was just saying it's unfortunate. I mean, the guy just can't get a shot. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> I know it really is, but all right, we're going to take it a little bit further into this game. So John o. Smith, uh, was injured. I believe it was an ankle injury. It seems like there were a lot of ankle injuries this weekend. Um, and then Anthony Ferkser. Who? Anthony Ferkser? Uh, he goes off. I think he has over 100 yards. And, I mean, John U. Smith's injury is not expected to be very serious. But this does kind of present itself a, as a an opportunity if you have, say, Mark Andrews who's going on by to pick up a guy like Anthony Ferkser, and uh, I mean, not exactly the most exciting prospect, but Tennessee does like to target their tight end, and given his apparent rapport with Ryan Tannehill, there is a chance for another solid game from Anthony Ferkser. Definitely. I mean, he had a hell of a game. He had uh, nine targets, caught eight of them for 113 yards, and one TD with a long of 45 yards. So, I mean, it looks like he's just picking up where Jonu Smith left off. And obviously, Jonu Smith is currently out with that ankle injury. Um, now, I, I haven't seen any updates on the ankle injury as far as if it's 
some people have been saying it's a high ankle sprain, but I don't think that's been confirmed yet. Um, probably have to check the Twitter or whatever the cool kids call it nowadays. But yeah, uh, now I would just caution those who are going to go to waiver wire to pick up Anthony Ferkser. Um, I would not expect <laughs> another blow up game like this just because there's a reason he was playing behind John Smith to begin with. Um, and I mean, before, well, I guess his snap percentage was pretty low, but you know, he played 55% of the snaps, uh, this past Sunday and the highest amount of snaps he played before that was 40. So I guess depending on what the situation is, but his best game was week two when he had four catches for 45 yards. So I would say, you know, try to go in between. I mean, maybe, you know, four for 45, but he catches a touchdown. I mean, the way the tight end position is, that's pretty much a tight end one. As long as they catch a touchdown and clear like 50 yards receiving, you know, something Zach Ertz is allergic to right now. But, you know. Uh, He's yeah. also allergic to the field, but we'll get there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, definitely go grab some Anthony Ferkser. Just try to, uh, temper your expectations. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll let you handle the the next game, Sharif, where you want to take it. All right. So our next game, will go to the Colts versus the Bengals. The Colts won 31 to 27 and I mean, it was a shootout. I'm not sure if it was expected to be a shootout, but that's what it ended up being. Um, you know, I you know the Colts haven't really been in many high scoring games, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, their defense is pretty good, so normally if it's high scoring, it's the Colts doing the scoring. Um, but just looking at some of the numbers, uh, one guy I definitely want to talk about because I'm not sure where this goes now. Uh, AJ Green. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver had 11 targets, uh, caught eight of them for 96 yards. Um, I believe he led the Bengals in fantasy points or it's possible, uh, Joe Mixon did. Um, but at least among the wide receivers. So now this is even more confusing than it was just like we were getting some clarity, you know, AJ green just isn't the guy and he's going to get phased out in favor of Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. And then you see this game and now it makes me wonder, and I'll pose the question to you, Nick is AJ green back. So AJ green is back to an extent, to an extent. Like last week we said, if you see somebody on waivers who you really like, you could drop AJ green and it would be okay. Now, I mean, I don't think that we would advocate, we would have advocated to drop AJ Green at that point, but it would have been understandable. It would have been reasonable. Now, if AJ Green is on your waivers for someone, you know, who did happen to drop him, he's, he's worth the ad, but it, it doesn't mean that he should be back in your lineups. Um, there was always reason for optimism with AJ Green in that he was getting targets and, uh, he's still, one of Burrow's favorite targets, and rightfully so. A.J. Green has a long track record of success in the NFL. I don't need to tell anybody that. Um, but given that he's still you know, becoming acclimated 
to football again after pretty much not playing for the past, what, year and a half, um, you have to pump the brakes a little bit and expect that there will still be some up-and-down play, especially as he just gains more rapport with Joe Burrow. That's, that's where I'm at with him. I think that he should be on your team, but not quite ready to put him back in my lineup. Yeah, uh, I side more with you, even though I would love for AJ Green to be quote-unquote back, um, just because I love the guy. I mean, you know, as we've established on the show, and some of us will call us truthers, which I'm fine with. I mean, Julio Jones is my main guy, but like right after him, it's like AJ Green. Well, Mike Evans comes before AJ Green, but then it's AJ Green for me. Um, But it was good to see. Uh, at least him be efficient because, I mean, the issue with A.J. Green up until this week hasn't even been involvement in the offense per se. You know, just from week one to this past week, six, nine targets, 13 targets, six, five, one target. But that game he was hurt um, and left early or I believe he tried to come back and then couldn't do it or no, he didn't try to come back. That was a blowout anyway. Um, by the Ravens, and then 11 targets. So it hasn't been an issue of targets or opportunity. It's been efficiency because then you look at the catch percentages, again, from week one to week six, 56, 23, 83, but that was that amounts only 36 yards, 20, zero, and then this past week, 73. So he was just pretty efficient, and I attribute that – mostly to what you said that the connection between him and Joe Burrow is improving. I still think AJ Green is the best receiver in Cincinnati. Um, It just is going to be dependent on how quickly that connection can improve because I don't see a reason why AJ Green can't continue to post numbers like this, especially doing that against a good, a great defensive team like the Colts. Um, This just shows that, Maybe there are just some growing pains between a veteran wide receiver and a rookie quarterback. I mean, we've seen it before. So um, yeah. I won't say he's back yet, but I would say if he is on your waiver wire, if you don't need like that last roster spot, then you know take a flyer, AJ Green. It, it sounds weird saying that. Uh, have him just sit on your bench and see if he can string together some games. Um. If you already have him on your team, I wouldn't start him just yet. Just I would say give it another week. Yeah, I'm right on board with that. And I would say, um, you know, I like Tyler Boyd, and I, I think that T. Higgins is going to be really good. I, I see a lot of a lot of promise there. But on the other side of the ball, um, it seems like, <laughs> you know, I like Philip Rivers a lot, and I'm sure that you do too, uh, as a longtime Chargers fan. But it does seem like it's becoming a little bit hard to rely on his arm. So are there any pass catchers there on the Colts offense that you like more than others that you trust in your lineup? Or or is this pretty much a situation that you want to avoid entirely? Uh, It's definitely a situation I want to avoid like the plague or this is probably in poor taste, but like the coronavirus, like I'm trying to avoid this this receiving core in general. I mean, just to even give a short recap of where we've been this season. First, you know, we were just waiting for T.Y. Hilton 
to have at least a a good game. And as far as I know, I don't even know if T.Y. Hilton's still playing. I'm, I mean, I, I'm joking, but he isn't producing. Let's just put it that way. Uh, then it went to Mo Ali Cox is the tight end to own, even though he's not getting the targets. He's getting the yards and the touchdowns. And then Trey Burton comes along. Now you see this pass game where a receiver named Marcus Johnson leads the team in receptions by about 50 yards. The next highest guy was Trey Burton with 58. And then Jonathan Taylor was the team's third leading receiver with 55 yards. So it just shows you where we're at. Um, Obviously, I'm not advocating for someone to pick up uh, Marcus Johnson off the waiver wire. Um, Trey Burton, I feel like it's the we've been there, done that, but the tight end position is what it is. So, I mean, go ahead and take a flyer. I mean, it can't hurt given the way you came and really depend on Zach Ertz anymore. I'm sorry. I, I try not to take shots at him, but it's just like it, it's ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I don't even know who you trust in this receiving core anymore. We know you can't trust T.Y. Hilton anymore. Uh, I, I'm not going to trust Marcus Johnson. I don't even know who he is, to be honest. I'm, I think the days are long gone to anybody trust Trey Burton. I I'm trust actually- Jonathan Taylor. Oh, go ahead. I am Sorry. actually going to trust Trey Burton right now. Ooh, that might be and a place you'd take right there. <laughs> my reason, though, is that um, you think back to Trey Burton in Philadelphia, and uh, he didn't have a huge role in the Philadelphia offense, but they seem to use him in creative ways, right? They, like, you think Philly special. Who threw the Philly special? It was Trey Burton. And then you kind of remember who the offensive coordinator was. It was Frank Reich. Now, Frank Reich is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and he's reunited with Trey Burton, who he obviously has a a good connection with, and that's why he trusted him uh, in all these kinds of interesting situations. And I think that you already started to see that uh, this past weekend, you know, using Trey Burton, I can't believe I'm going to say this, out of the Wildcat for a rushing touchdown. to me, it's clear that they're going to involve Trey Burton in some interesting things. And I'm not saying that he's a, a tight end one, but I think that he's a guy who might retain a uh, an interesting role in the offense. I'll say that. And even though you know I like Jack Doyle, he's had a, a history of success in fantasy football before. And Mo Alley Cox or Mo Alley TD, whatever you want to call him, because he's a a bit of a touchdown vulture. He's still there, even though I think he's out right now. Um, I think that Trey Burden is at least the tight end to have there, and he might be the most consistent pass catcher to own. Yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, how about you uh, give us our next game, Nick? All right. So I feel I feel good about this one. Uh, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, they connected in a big way. Julio Jones find the end, finds the end zone twice, which doesn't often happen. Uh, <laughs> there have been times where he hardly finds the end zone twice in the same season. So finding it <laughs> twice in one game is uh, good to see. And, uh, you know, it, it begs the question, is Julio Jones back, like, I know a lot of people had questions about putting him back in their lineup because they feared that 
you know, he might be used as a, a decoy or something like that. But do you automatically throw Matt Ryan and Julio Jones back into your starting lineup? I think so. Um, this season has been very uh, forgetful, but also, you know, it was just a weird start to the season just because Julio Jones came into the season, uh, you know, with a bulky hamstring. And it, granted, you know, Julio Jones has always dealt with, you know, ankle, foot, and hamstring injuries. I would say for at least the last five years or so. Um, and he always plays through him. This was just one of those rare times that he wasn't able to, which is, you know, no disrespect to Julio Jones. I mean, these guys are some of the best athletes in the world. So, I mean, I wouldn't want anyone to play through a hamstring because I feel like it rarely works out for anyone except like the other team. Or the other team's facing, you know, it rarely works out. And this is a thing in basketball. Like, I just feel like soft tissue injuries shouldn't play through because it rarely works out for the team. But be that as it may, I think, I mean, if you had Julio Jones, you probably took him as your first wide receiver off the board or at least either in the first or second round, depending on the size of your league. So you were starting Julio Jones as long as he's active. Um He'll never be 100% healthy, but I don't think you had a choice in starting him. Matt Ryan, he had he's had a slow start to the season, um, but I think this is one of those circumstances where Matt Ryan doesn't have as much of a rapport with you know Hayden Hurst and Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage and Olamide Zacchaeus. He has the greatest level of rapport with Julio Jones, because this is something that's been built up, I would say at least over eight to 10 years. So I think as long as Julio Jones is playing, I think you can safely roll out Matt Ryan as a QB one. And if Julio Jones is either hobbled noticeably or is inactive, then maybe you have to see what else you got, because it's clearly, it's clear that Matt Ryan struggles when Julio Jones isn't playing. Yeah, that, that that's pretty much where I'm at. Where uh, Matt Ryan's value is basically tied to Julio Jones' activity. I mean, you know that Calvin Ridley is good, and I, I shouldn't even say good. Calvin Ridley is great, and Matt Ryan can support him. But it doesn't mean that Matt that Calvin Ridley makes Matt Ryan. But on the other side of the ball. Minnesota has a very exciting rookie in Justin Jefferson. And uh, I think that we should take a little bit of a look at him to see just how good he is. Uh, Sharif, what are your thoughts? Oh, I mean, this is going to be in poor taste, um, but you've already said it in a group chat we're in. I mean, man, it would have been nice if this guy was drafted by the Eagles. I mean... Could the Eagles not use this kind of production from a wide receiver? Now, granted, they are getting, you know, similar or a little bit under the production from Travis Fogel. Um, So that's a topic for another day. But, I mean, this this kid is incredible. Now, the only thing I will caution with him is the lows, at least the way it's good. But but it looks like he's more of a – which is ironic because I feel like he came into the draft – as a build as a slot receiver and he's looking more like a 
a deep threat kind of guy. <laughs> uh, it looks like his average yards per reception has got to be around like 16 or 17. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Um, 19.2, according to Pro Football Reference. So he's looking more like a deep threat guy. Um, but yeah, it's just he has basically, I would say, three bad games or not usable games, and then three amazing games. And obviously this past one had 11 targets for nine and caught nine of those 11 targets for 166 yards and two touchdowns. Just incredible. And, I mean, I don't think this guy is challenging Adam Thielen for wide receiver one status with Minnesota, but I would say – with regards to the wide receiver group as a whole in fantasy football, I can see Justin Jefferson ending his year as a wide receiver too. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I totally agree there. And I actually think, just to your point about Adam Thielen versus Justin Jefferson, I think that it's possible, and you know, I don't want to overreact, I think that Adam Thielen is the wide receiver one in Minnesota. But I think it's possible that Justin Jefferson actually has a better fantasy season than Adam Thielen just because, I mean, he's going to have these games where he absolutely blows up and Adam Thielen's going to attract more of the, um, you know, the top corner every week. So he's going to get tougher coverage. Adam Thielen's obviously still a, you know, a tremendous fantasy asset. But um, I don't, one thing that I don't love about Justin Jefferson to this point is that I still feel like he is sort of boomer bust where he's going to have some growing pains where, you know, whether that's because, you know, the the offense goes run heavy and Kirk Cousins isn't throwing the ball or, you know, it's an Adam Thielen game. He's Justin Jefferson has played well enough that he has to be in your lineup. But you know that there's going to be some games where he's going to let you down. But I I mean, he he has been incredible and there's, you know, not enough superlatives to to say that, to say anything else. Uh, I think he is a wide receiver too at this point. So I definitely agree there. And, and by the way, just real quick, uh, I don't know if we recommended uh, Alexander Madison as like the number one waiver wire ad, but what's up with this, man? T- 10 catches for 26 yards. That's it. That's it. Or I'm sorry, sorry 10 carries. For 26 yards, 2.6 yeah. yards per carry. And he was, I would say, unanimously touted as the number one waiver wire pickup. And this man only has like three fantasy points. What's up with that, Nick? Sorry, we don't have to spend a lot of time. I'm just very, I, I'm very upset because I used this man in, in DFS and he busted, man. He busted. Truthfully, I don't have an answer for you, Sharif. Um, I, I do <laughs> think that we. <laughs> I do think that we recommended Alexander Madison. He's always touted as one of the top handcuffs and, you know, a guy who you can you can see where he comes onto the field and produces pretty much at the same level as Dalvin Cook. I don't mean that lightly, like he really does. Alexander Madison is a good player. So, I have no idea what happened here and it, it's against the Falcons, a defense that is pretty much um maligned like everybody knows that the Falcons are not a very good defense so I have no real explanation for what happened there you only had one reception four receiving yards and Madison is a decent receiver 
I would, this is one where I'm going to preach process over results. Like Madison was the right play. He was the right pickup and the results just didn't bear it out. And that's a shame. Makes us look bad. Makes a lot of fantasy analysts look bad, but in in a in process, it was the right decision, and it's just a, a shame that it didn't pan out. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like it's a tough thing with fantasy football because all you can really do is, I mean, the more sustainable way is process over results, and obviously there are just some unfortunate times the process doesn't work out. Um, the next game I would want to take us to is uh, the Denver Broncos versus the New England Patriots. The Broncos won 18 to 12. Um, so, Nick, I just want to pose uh, this one question to you. Um, if there is no Melvin Gordon and Noah Fant, who do you trust in the Denver offense? Well, I would feel pretty good about Philip Lindsay. You think about what he's done. Um, last year and even his rookie year when given the work. And he has been pretty productive. And I think that this week, he uh, this past week, he had his career high in carries. I think he had 23. Um, now, Philip Lindsay's a smaller guy, so he doesn't typically see that much work. But with no Melvin Gordon, you have to anticipate that he's going to get a significant amount of work. Um, you probably trust Philip Lindsay as like an RB2. Maybe don't feel great about it. I'm not the biggest Lindsay fan, but um, the opportunity is going to be there for him. And there is a chance that Melvin Gordon misses more time with some off the field issues that we don't need to to get into too too much. Um, but Philip Lindsay would be in line for some solid fantasy days. And then when you think about receiver, this is where it gets a little bit tough. Tim Patrick has played pretty well. Uh, I don't trust Tim Patrick, but he's played well, so I'll give him his props. I would say that you can trust Jerry Judy to be like a flex play. Like he's going to get some targets. He's a very talented player. Um, You just don't feel great about Jerry Judy. Even though he's playable, you don't love it. You know what I mean? And that's pretty much where I'm at with the Broncos offense. And I think that that's pretty much where I'd keep it for now. Definitely. I agree. Um, If there is no Melvin Gordon for however long the Broncos uh, decide to punish him for his uh, DUI and speeding citation, and there is no Noah Fent, yeah, I think the only guy you can trust in this Denver offense is Phillip Lindsay because he'll clearly get the opportunities, and it just seems like the wide receiving core or just the receiving core in general is pretty much, you know, maybe you feel lucky playing a certain player. Um, Now, on the Patriots side, uh, this is a tough question uh, just because this obviously, you know, changes based on the game, but is Cam Newton the only player on the Patriots that you can consistently start on a weekly basis? Yeah, that's a tough one. I I don't think that he is. Um, I think that at the end of the day, this Patriots team is going to make its living running the ball. And I mean, I mean, you think 
about Cam Newton's strengths, and I'm not saying that he's an awful passer. I mean, he's he's had accuracy issues in the past, but given the receiving core that is, you know, <laughs> being trotted out there every every week, and you think about Julian Edelman, who is not the same player that he was, say, two three years ago. He's, I think, 34 years old. Uh, definitely, he's showing signs of his age. Um. Demir Bird is the the best produ- or the most consistent, most consistently producing wide receiver right now, and they're still waiting for a Nikhil Harry like breakout of sorts. And I think that Nikhil Harry's actually been okay. Uh, he just he hasn't been great. Um, so you think about all that, and Cam Newton's not going to be passing the ball a ton, and they want to run the ball, which makes me think that. Right now, Damian Harris is usable in fantasy, but it is sort of game-dependent. Like, if if the Patriots are down and they're forced to throw the ball a lot, you're not going to see a lot of Damian Harris. The problem, the the question really becomes whether or not you trust Bill Belichick and the Patriots' offense to really get it right and start being in control of some games more. Because if they are, you could see a guy like Damian Harris getting his, you know, 18 to 20 carries a game which would give him, you know, running back to appeal. So that's where we're at with the Patriots offense. I, I should also give a little plug to James White, who, who had a ton of targets. And uh, in this Patriots offense that, like we're saying, the receiving options aren't really uh, optimal. James White is going to get his targets, and I could see him also being usable moving forward. So it's pretty much two running backs. And I say it with caution because we all know Patriots running backs are hard to trust. It's, it's notorious. Um, but I would be trusting right now Damian Harris, James White, Cam Newton. Agreed. Um, I feel like you can always, even though you can't seemingly trust any New England Patriots running back, that rule doesn't apply to James White because his role as the receiving back has pretty much been set since he's been a part of the offense. Obviously, Julian Edelman looks like, as you said, is suffering uh, because of his advanced age for the wide receiver position, and it looks like the hits are just catching up to him. Um, Now, Damian Harris, I'm going to disagree a little bit just because this is really a reason. So, and we've seen Damian Harris, I believe, in two games so far since he came back from IR because of his hand injury. Cam Newton had 10 carries for 76 yards and one touchdown. Damian Harris had six carries for 19 yards. So I guess what I'm trying to point out is I guess you you can trust Damian Harris because we did see him have a great game week five. But his ceiling is always capped by Cam Newton because he might – <laughs> at least for now, be the team's best rusher. Now, that's not in literal terms, but just the way that things are going. So, I mean, I think Cam Newton you can roll out as a QB1. James White is his usual flex play, and Damian Harris I think is probably like a flex play too. I just I wouldn't feel great about it because of Cam Newton. But be that as it may, uh, we'll try to pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, the next game, uh, the New York Giants versus the Washington football team. 
I mean, two terrible franchises, two terrible teams, but it was a competitive game, so we got to talk about it. Uh, the Giants beat the football team 20-19. to 19. Uh, And I know we throw this around. This is not a disrespect to the player, but this is just how we talk about guys in fantasy. So, Nick, is Washington football team running back J.D. McKissick a fantasy vulture or an actual or an actual usable fantasy asset? Yeah, he's he's a vulture. (laughs) Um, We we, there have been times where J.D. McKissick has had value before. Um, I'm not saying that he's an awful player. But I, I, I just have to say it as it is. He is a vulture. Like, he's not a guy who should have fantasy worth. Um, he's really not a guy who an NFL team should feel great about putting out on the field routinely. So uh, no disrespect to J.D. McKissick. I'm sure that he is much better at football than I am. He is a vulture. Uh, we <laughs> we want to see more um, Antonio Gibson. If I'm being honest now, I mean, he is being converted from a a wide receiver to running back based on his physical profile. So there's some growing pains there. So I I understand that he's not going to be a, you know, 20 touch guy right out of the gates, but it's still what we want to (laughs) see. So yeah, JD McKissick is a vulture. Um, How about you? You uh, lead the next one too. Well, well, first let me touch on the, J.D. McKissick, Antonio Gibson thing. So, and this is why I said, like, if, I mean, I'm sure J.D. McKissick isn't going to listen to this podcast, or maybe he might, hopefully. Uh, but he outsnapped Antonio Gibson 53% to 38% and outtouched him 14 to 13. And this is troubling for anyone who has Antonio Gibson on their team because we were just seeing an uptick in Antonio Gibson's, uh, I guess you could say, snap percentage and opportunities in the offense. Even though J.D. McKissick was a constant presence just because the team likes to use him as a pass-catching back, uh, I I just don't think we want to see a 50-50 split, but that might be what we're headed towards. And, I mean, this isn't the first week I would say that's happened, even though Antonio Gibson has normally been on the field more and has seen more work, but this was probably the most competitive the Washington football team has been this year, so maybe it's something they want to try out. Uh, Now, the next part is how bad is Daniel Jones? (laughs) Now, again, this is just meant to be uh, objective critique, you know, not meant to make anyone feel bad about themselves, just got to tell the people we got to tell them. Daniel Jones went 12 of 19 for 112 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He did lead the Giants in rushing yards, I believe, with 74 and did it on 70 carries. So there's that. But he's paid to play quarterback, not running back. That's for guys like Devontae Freeman. I mean, Daniel Jones is... Oh boy. I mean, it's he's already a turnover machine. Like that's something that, you know, he's proven day in and day out. But when you see he hasn't had a game where he's passed for more than 279 passing yards or hasn't he's either only thrown two touchdowns, one touchdown or zero touchdowns in a game. And 
Just if you guessed it, he's only he's thrown for zero touchdowns four times in six games. So it's <clears throat> now I'm not putting all the blame on him because the offensive line, obviously, it seems like for the past three or four years has been a work in progress. But I got to say, I'm getting tired of watching Daniel Jones playing football, but I can't not watch <laughs> it because I am now in New York. So we either get the Giants or the Jets. Uh, Nick, how bad is Daniel Jones to you? Am I being too rough? I, I think you are. I And I'm not a, a Daniel Jones apologist or anything like that. I'm not saying that he's uh, great or even, <laughs> I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the next coming of Eli Manning, even though he physically looks like it. Um, but I, I digress. Uh, Daniel Jones, to me, is... He's a victim of... You know, coaching turnover. Uh, <laughs> I say turnover when I talk about Daniel Jones, and it's just kind of ironic. But uh, you know, he is he is working with a new uh, coach. His receiving options are less than ideal, and sort of like we talk about with the Eagles, which we'll be getting to soon. Um, they're they're hurt also. Like Sterling Shepard, who you figure is his wide receiver one, is you know obviously hurt. Um, Darius Slayton has played well in spurts, but he's not a guy who I am confident in. Uh, Golden Tate is a shell of his former self. And then the guy who I think is actually his best receiving option in Evan Ingram. I don't know. He just can't seem to get it right. Like he hasn't been really as good as he was since his rookie year, Evan Ingram. So I'm not sure if that's a developmental thing or a coaching thing, scheme, where they're just not using him in, in ways that you know optimize his talents. But I would say that his, his receiving options aren't great. And, um, you know, quarterbacks can make their weapons look better. But when you're dealt a hand like that, I think that a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is out of your control. Now, I will say... For fantasy, for uh, <laughs> I'll say this: he shouldn't be starting for you right now, even in a two quarterback league. Oof. <laughs> I mean, you just <laughs> you just look at his numbers, and the fact that he hasn't thrown a touchdown in four games—that's that's pretty brutal. You know, the to me, the benchmark what you're shooting for for quarterback production in fantasy football is around twenty points. You get around twenty points, pretty good game. His points this year are 8, 13, or about 14. Um, oh, sorry, let me start from the beginning. 17, 7.8, 8, 10, 8, 14. So he's not even like getting close. He's currently quarterback 27. So, yeah, don't give me any Daniel Jones for uh, fantasy purposes. I, I think that he has some dynasty value. Uh, I don't see uh, a, a situation in which he's losing his job yet, but um, he's definitely one to avoid for fantasy right now. Um, do you have anything to add on that? Uh, no, I think I pretty much said my piece, and I think you just brought it home with <laughs> what you said. Uh, the Eagles took on the Baltimore Ravens in a game that 
began as a blowout and ended as a competitive game uh, just through sheer will and determination. But the Ravens won 30 to 28. So I feel like this is talked about every week, but it's just so it's just so hard to figure it out. Nick, do you want anybody in this Ravens backfield right now? Well, at this very moment, and this is going to drive so many people up the wall. I I hate to say it myself. I really do. Uh, Mark Ingram suffered what is believed to be, you know, not super serious ankle injury. And if he's forced to miss time, I want Gus Edwards. I'm sorry, Sharif. I know that you have J.K. Dobbins. I know a lot of people <laughs> out there are waiting for J.K. Dobbins, and I am too. Uh, I think J.K. Dobbins is a heck of a player. When he gets the work, he's going to be really freaking good. Um, but right now, if Mark Ingram misses time, give me the Gus bus. And I'm so sorry to everyone who's listening who owns J.K. Dobbins. I that That's the way it is. When they're all healthy, I want none of them. <laughs> Oh, nothing to be sorry about, Nick. Uh, I mean, I disagree. I would take J.K. Dobbins just because I think his ceiling is higher than the Gus Bus, even though we've seen uh, Gus Edwards reach incredible heights. Um, that's normally when the Ravens are literally stomping their opponent, and then they're also using the running backs to stomp on the opponent even more. And Gus Edwards is great in that role. But I think eventually J.K. Dobbins' talent will run out will win out rather just doesn't appear to be this season. Um, even when you see that Mark Ingham, you know, left the game with the ankle injury and did not return. Um, Gus Edwards had more carries than Dobbins 14 to nine and led Dobbins in uh, snap percentage 44 to 40. Obviously Dobbins has probably the, the most solid floor because he's more likely to be used as a receiver than Gus Edwards, but Edwards is getting the goal line touches. So basically to end it all. Yeah. Like you said, if, if, if they're all healthy, I want none of these guys. And if Mark Ingram isn't healthy and is going to miss the game, which may happen um, when they come back from their bye, I'll take JK Dobbins just because I believe in the, profile of the kid but i'm not excited on the other side uh (laughs) now i want to ask you to since you are the resident eagles fan on this podcast other than brian clegg can you trust travis full i mean fulgum (laughs) i see what you did there sharif (laughs) um right now as long as there is no Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, and those guys are expected to be back soon. Um, yes, you can trust Travis Fulgoat. Um, I don't feel great telling people that, but the fact is he's, he's a big target. He has um, obviously established a rapport with Wentz. He is, <laughs> he's one of the few players who's actually catching the ball when he's thrown it. Um, yeah, you can trust Travis Fulgham. It feels weird to say. I wasn't sure if last week was a f- or, uh, two weeks prior now was a fluke, but uh, it's clear that Wentz is looking his way and 
the other receiving options are not good. So Travis Fulgham is going to be heavily involved as long as, you know, Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, the whole laundry list of names, as long as they're out. So, yep, fire up Travis Fulgham. Probably, you probably start him as like a wide receiver three, but he has, at the moment, legitimate wide receiver one upside, which is still kind of painful to say. But <laughs> that's yeah, where I we're mean, at. I mean, you even look at this guy – I would say let's take the past two weeks. Um, week five, he had 13 targets for 10 catches, 152 yards, and one touchdown. And then this past week, 10 targets, uh, amounting to six catches for 75 yards and one touchdown. I agree with you. I think as long as uh, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, and I guess at this point, Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders are out of the lineup, along with Dallas Goddard and the other all the other slew of names, you can depend on Travis Fulgham. Obviously, once the skill position uh, players for the Eagles gets healthy, Fulgham will probably re- recede back into the background, especially with Greg Ward always lurking around there. But for now, I think you can use Travis Fulgham. If you're in a tight spot, you know, due to, you know, buys that are have been happening for a couple of weeks now, probably as a wide receiver three, maybe as a wide receiver two if you're in a pinch. Uh, I don't want to go to this game because it was a literal beatdown, and maybe we don't even have to address it. But it was one of the games that happened in Week Six, so we're gonna have to. Uh, the Steelers put the smackdown on the Browns, thirty-eight to seven, and in the midst of that massacre, uh, Baker Mayfield was benched I guess is the best way to put it for Case Keenum even though it was reported that Baker Mayfield was dealing with some difficulty because of his recovering ribs um but let's just assume it was a benching due to poor play uh Nick if Case Keenum is the starting quarterback moving forward does that improve the prospects of the relevant pass catchers like Odell Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper yeah, I think it does. Um, and I, I guess the better way to even approach it would be to say it certainly can't hurt them, right? I, I think that Jarvis Landry is um, battling his hip injury a little bit in, in his recovery. So I'm not sure how much of an improvement you would see there. Um, I, I think that he's playing it significantly less than 100%. Jarvis Landry is a bit of an Iron Man. So um, even though I'm a, a fan of his uh you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. He probably was not a tremendous pick in fantasy drafts, um, just because of you know his recovery from that hip. So I'm a little bit less excited about him. I think that Odell would see a significant boost up. Um, and just while we're on the topic of Cleveland, um, David Njoku has pretty much been insisting that he still wants to be traded which I don't know if that's a huge deal, but you would have to feel a little bit better if you happen to roster Austin Hooper. Uh, you would feel a little bit more safe in his production moving forward if he if uh, David Njoku is traded. Agreed. I mean, Austin Hooper has been the tight end to own in Cleveland, and it looks like Austin Hooper is just seeing more looks as the season goes on. 
So that's probably why Njoku wants to be traded again <laughs> because he only had uh, three targets on Sunday, good for one catch for seven yards, while Austin Hooper had six targets, which amounted to five catches, five catches for 52 yards. Um, if Keenum is the starter, which I mean, this is more this is more or less just for conversation because there really wasn't much to discuss here. Um, I mean, I've seen Case Keenum and I've also seen Baker Mayfield. Either way, this team wants to run the football, so I don't see how it gets better for, uh, or at least I don't see it getting markedly better for the pass catchers. Um, but I guess, like you said, it can't be worse than what it's already been with Baker Mayfield. Nick, uh, what's going on with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster? He's just not startable. He's not. He's um, <laughs> he's the wide receiver two to Deontay Johnson. He's the wide receiver two to Chase Claypool. <laughs> I mean, I only I say it like that because we haven't seen Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool play at the same time. And I assume, and I, I don't know this, that when Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are both healthy and playing, he's the wide receiver three to both of them. And it, it really hurts to say because Juju Smith-Schuster is a very, I, I, I don't say this lately, a very, very, very talented player. Um, you know, we saw him in his rookie year. He burst onto the scene. Uh, we saw him the year after where he was absolutely incredible. And then it's been a, a steep decline since. Um, I'm, I'm even starting to wonder about his dynasty value. Uh, you know, a lot of people had him, even after last season, ranked as a top five dynasty wide receiver just because of his age and, you know, the the play that we had seen before. Um, and at this point, people have dropped him down and down into, you know, wide receiver 30 range for dynasty, which is pretty, pretty steep for a guy who not that long ago we saw play at an absolutely elite level. Um, I think that if you're taking this from a dynasty perspective, you're hoping that Juju Smith-Schuster finds himself in another situation, basically as the wide receiver one, because you know the the upside there is immense. But as far as season long goes, like you really can't put him in your lineup. I I hate to say that because you probably drafted him with hopes that he could return to wide receiver one form, and it just does not seem like that's coming, and it. it really sucks because Big Ben's just going to keep targeting Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. That's just where we're at. Right now, and I'm getting this from profootballreference.com, Juju Smith-Schuster is currently the wide receiver 41. And, or I guess he missed the game because I see there's only five or... I think it was the, he had his bye week. week. Or yeah, because of the whole, you know, COVID-19 schedule, you know, reconstruction. So in five games, he is the wide receiver 41. And none of this is appealing, you know, just from week one to week six, obviously skipping week four because of the bye, six targets, eight targets, five, five, four. And he hasn't had a game where he's had more receiving yards than 69. 
And his best game was week one when he had those 69 yards and two touchdowns. So I don't think he's droppable just yet. I don't know if you could ever could drop him just because of what you had to uh, use in draft capital to get him. But man, the hill is definitely, as they say, steep right now. Uh, moving on, because we still got a few games to cover. Uh, the Chicago Bears beat the Carolina Panthers 23-16. to 16. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on David Montgomery? Well, <laughs> a very frustrating player. I'm not sure that he's a good player. Or I should say, I'm not sure that he's a good rusher. I think he's a, a pretty decent receiving back. Well, he's not. All right, l- let me start from the top. David Montgomery is not a receiving back. I think he's an okay receiver. Um, I think that he is one of those guys who can actually be a true three down kind of threat, but obviously they had Tariq Cohen um, who is going to miss the rest of the season with an ACL injury, but you know, Tariq Cohen excels at receiving. So kind of means that David Montgomery's receiving uh, abilities are not useful. Anyway, bad runner, decent receiver. And, he continues to get volume, so it keeps him in that you know low end running back two range. He's just not exciting. Like you can start him, and he'll probably end up getting you like twelve ish points. And there's going to be weeks where he doesn't get into the end zone and doesn't have a ton of catches. You just never feel good about playing him because when you watch him, he's not good. Like he <laughs> he's not generating yards. Like you know. The way I've approached fantasy is that I like to watch. I like to be able to watch my players and to see them play well. And when you have David Montgomery, you're not getting that. Like <laughs> you're not going to get a fun performance. But when you look at the box score, it'll all be okay. It's just never going to be great. That's where we're at with David Montgomery. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, he'll just be an RB two with. Low upside, he's pretty much a floor play. Um, if he falls into the end zone, he could be a high upside RB2. But yeah, he just he gets the yards that are blocked for him, and he's a decent receiver, so it's good that he's getting that work. With unfortunately, with uh Tariq Cohen being lost for the year, but yeah, he's definitely an uninspiring play. Uh, Mike Davis, I put him on the notes just because. He's someone that we've talked about before, but I just think it's it sucks because obviously when Christian McCaffrey comes back, whenever that's going to be, uh, Mike Davis will most assuredly get phased into the background. But I just don't think he should. He's been playing really well these past four weeks that he's been getting the McCaffrey workload, if you will. Nick. I guess what I want to tie this into is, do you think it'll just be the Christian McCaffrey show when he comes back? Or do you think Mike Davis has earned some more work? I definitely think Mike Davis has earned more work. And I think he is going to get it. But I don't think he'll be fantasy relevant. I, I think that he'll... What what this will ultimately become is... Um, you know, you think about Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey just got a big extension with the Carolina Panthers. He is their investment. And I mean, frankly, the Panthers aren't competing for 
that much, right? Like this is not a team that you're expecting to, you know, challenge for a Super Bowl or anything like that. So they're going to want to protect their investment that is Christian McCaffrey. So Mike Davis is going to be used more. And McCaffrey owners, uh, you know, you still trot him out there as the running back one. And I'm sure I'm, I'm, I feel strongly that he still will be, he'll, he'll produce at running back one levels just because of his overall involvement. But I doubt that he seems, he sees that same crazy volume that he saw um, at the very beginning of the season and last year. So if anything, it's going to hurt Christian McCaffrey, but it's not really going to help Mike Davis's fantasy uh, prospects moving forward that much. Agreed. Um, it's definitely great to see the Mike Davis show. I mean, he hasn't blown the doors off, but I think it's just because of the amount of work he gets in the receiving game. And he's had, you know, decent rushing success, but it's just in the passing game, he's been a revelation. So anyone who was lucky enough to get him on the waiver wire uh, when McCaffrey first was injured has basically been getting RB1 level play. Um, now Nick, I know this is like a spur of the moment thing. Uh, is there really an update for Christian McCaffrey? I know that they were saying he probably won't come back for week seven, but is, has there been any update to when he's expected to come back? Um, it sounds like they're hopeful for week eight. Um, they're like you said, they're not going to rush him back for week seven. And I mean, Christian McCaffrey has been, you know, attacking his rehab. Um, my guess is that they're going to continue to kind of play it safe with him. But I think that they're targeting week eight. Okay. So there goes the update. Uh, for those of you who have McCaffrey, like our friend uh, Trevor Bowden, um, you won't be having to wait for much longer. Uh, the Detroit Lions uh, beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34 to 16. Nick, do you think this is now going to be DeAndre Swift's season for the Lions, or was this just a blip on the radar? I <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think it's sort of a blip on the radar. Uh, my my reason, it has really nothing to do with DeAndre Swift. I think that DeAndre Swift has shown that he's a, a pretty pretty darn good back but Matt Patricia loves Adrian Peterson and I mean there is a lot to love there being that he is the the gritty veteran the, the, the grizzled kind of player all the experience I'm sure he has a lot to teach a guy like DeAndre Swift um but I don't see Adrian Peterson just going away uh you know he said that when he signed in Detroit, one of his big motivators is that he felt like he had an opportunity to get some playing time. And I don't think that, you know, that playing time is going to go anywhere. I think that DeAndre Swift can be productive on, you know, I'll say a, a reduced workload like we saw this past weekend. But I don't think that you're automatically just going to see Adrian Peterson just go away, uh, much to DeAndre Swift owner's dismay. Um, you might see a couple more touches for Swift, maybe get him a little bit more involved in the passing game. Heck, maybe it comes at the expense of Carrion Johnson, who I just want to say it's not that good. But 
<laughs> I, I should probably be more polite because obviously all these players are much better than I could ever dream of being. Uh, there's a lot to like about DeAndre Swift. I just don't think we're there yet. It's okay. It's all in relative terms to their peers, not to us. Um, yeah, I'm as much as I want to believe we're start we're gonna see DeAndre Swift uh, get more opportunities in the offense. I agree with you. It's pretty much a blip on the radar, just because AJ Peterson, who hasn't been playing terrible, um, but he's you know he's 36 year old AJ Peterson or whatever he is now. So it's only so much ceiling he has. And obviously I don't, I'm not sure how usable Adrian Peterson is in fantasy unless he falls into the end zone. Um, but yeah, I think even with uh, DeAndre Swift's breakout game, he still only played 37% of the snaps, even though he had 17 touches, Adrian Peterson also had his share of touches. It was just the kind of game where they, they were ahead and, you know, the rookie was able to get some run. And uh Keelan Cole, I, I don't I don't know if I want to call it a breakout game because he's been around for a while, but he had nine catches, or sorry, nine targets, which amounted to six catches for 143 yards. I only really see him as like a desperation wide receiver three flex option what about you nick well let let me ask you a question off the top of your head where does keelan cole rank as a wide receiver right now in fantasy if i had just off the top of my head he's probably like wide receiver two ish i would say maybe like 16 or 17 just because like good he's been he's been he's been putting up the 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 fantasy points unexpectedly but he's been doing it yeah he's a wide receiver 20 so actually you you gave him a little too much credit but yeah uh (laughs) uh, there's definitely enough there at this point where you can look at him and say he's he's rosterable he's not a sexy you know a sexy play week to week um definitely sort of a guy that you look at who is matchup dependent but he's getting the looks from you know, the gardener. So uh, I would definitely recommend him as a waiver wire ad because, I mean, chances are he's probably out there because he's not one of those big name kind of players who uh, gets drafted. So add Keelan Cole to your team. Uh, You could definitely start him with some level of confidence. I mean, not the most exciting start, but yeah, give me a little bit of Keelan Cole. Um, taking it to the battle between the Dolphins and the Jets. Well, I feel like we have to talk about news that we received today, which is Ryan Fitzpatrick will, I, I shouldn't phrase it like that. Tua Tagovailoa will be the starter for the new, uh, the, for the Miami <laughs> Dolphins moving forward. Um, and I want to take a second to... Give a shout out to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has been nothing but class throughout this whole thing. I mean, there have been several quotes that he has released about how important it is for him to be a good mentor to Tua. Um, And, you know, doing all this while actually kind of contending 
uh, you know, the, the Miami Dolphins are an unexpected three and three right now. They're playing pretty darn good football. Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of the most consistently producing wide receiver, or, uh, wow, quarterback ones at the very moment uh, in terms of fantasy football. Uh, a shame for him to, you know, kind of lose his job like this. Of course, it has nothing to do with his play. It's just, you know, the Dolphins felt that it was time to move forward with Tua, who is their future. So I guess. This kind of leads us to, you know, what does this mean for Dolphins pass catchers? Do you have any idea, Sharif? Um, I don't. Um, we've only seen Tua throw two passes in the NFL. They were both completions. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know who they went to, but that was when they blew out the Jets 24 to nothing, which pretty much isn't hard to blow any team coached by Adam Gase. I uh, just had to slip that in there. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the, I guess you could say the passing distribution changes. I think they've, it's always been, you know, Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki. Um Preston Williams, I, I guess, will eventually find his way into fantasy relevance. But for now, it's pretty much Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki. And I'm pretty much – I imagine that Tua is just going to stick with those guys. Maybe Preston Parker might get more uh, out of his time on the field with Tua. But that's uh, left to be seen. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it sucks because Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of my favorite quarterbacks. Uh, you might even call me a Fitzpatrick truther. I mean, the guy just balls and he loves to play football. And as you can see, as Nick pointed out with his quotes, you know, the guy has little to no ego. And even though knowing he was basically the placeholder for Tua, as he so referenced himself, uh, he was a good sport and he went out there and balled. He didn't sulk. And he's been looking really well. And it's just unfortunate. We knew that Tua time was coming, but obviously the Dolphins enter their bye week, so they give Tua an extra week of preparation. Uh, switching gears, Nick, now that Le'Veon Bell is no longer on the Jets, is there anyone that you're willing to use in fantasy other than Jamison Crowder? Um, No. <laughs> uh, I will say this: there's been a lot of research uh, about the New York Jets, and also, and the fact that you don't want to start anybody besides Jamison Crowder, it tells you all you need to know about the Jets' offense. Which means you know who you should be starting every week: the defense. That's going against the Jets. They should be locked into your lineup. And I'm 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 talking about you should be looking two weeks ahead to get that defense off of waivers if they're available. Like, that's how bad the Jets offense is. And I'm serious. The defenses that are playing against the Jets are are, are basically the number one scoring defense every week. Like, do a little bit of fancy research. Find out who they're playing. Get those defenses on your team. 
they could really seriously win you your week. It's that bad. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't really want to use anyone on this team either. I mean, Bashad Bashad Perryman did come back and had a decent game, uh, caught four of his eight targets for 62 yards. Um, other than that, no one else really interests me. Uh, not the eventual Hall of Famer Frank Gore with his 11 carries for 46 yards. And uh, I would want to use Michael P. Ryan if I knew Adam Gase wasn't having his bromance with Frank Gore for every game. But this is Adam Gase we're talking about. Hey, All right. hey, whoa, he's on step two. It's not step enough, two man. of the ten step plan. <laughs> Can we so, talk about this ten step plan? What is it? It's like, an excuse. It's an I excuse mean, to not fire this guy right away. Like he should have been fired in week three, and we're now going into week seven. And now they want to say it's a ten step plan. Well, the guy is like three and fifteen. Like what? What are the steps? I don't know. I'm I'm very curious. I want to know the steps. I want to see them in paper, in writing. Um, <laughs> I I want to I want detail. And honestly, like I'm at a point where you know sometimes you watch TV and it's so bad you can't take your eyes off of it. That's where I'm at with Adam Gase. I hate to say it because I, I he deserves to be fired, but I need to know what the steps are. I need to see how this plays out, even if it's awful. Trust me. I think the more you know, the worse it gets. Uh, so the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers put an absolute uh, whooping on the Green Bay Packers, thirty-eight to ten. Um, I mean, there's not much to get from this game, but I just wanted to create some conversation. Nick, is there any reason to worry about Aaron Jones? I mean, he had a terrible game against the Bucks. Uh, not really. Uh, Aaron Jones has been a guy who's been efficient throughout his whole career. Uh, and Tampa Bay, let me just be honest. Tampa Bay's run defense is nothing short of elite. Like they are probably the best run defense in football. Um, I, I would say that his Aaron Jones rushing output was a little bit like even against a, a defense like Tampa Bay was a little less than what you would like, but um, he ultimately falls into the end zone, uh, is involved in the passing game early, but even then, like Aaron Jones is a guy who is involved in the, in the passing game. He kind of fell out of that as the game progressed. And I think it just became that the game was pretty much so far out of reach that passing to the running back just at, at one point, it wasn't a viable way to get back into the game. Led to a lot of three and outs. Uh, the game script was just not there for Aaron Jones. I mean, you could look at one thing. One thing that I will say was a little bit, uh, I'm not even going to call it worrisome, but you might look at it and raise an eyebrow, would be the snap count between he and Jamal uh, Jamal Williams and um, A.J. Dillon. Ultimately, A.J. Dillon kind of comes in in garbage time to run out the clock a little bit. Um. Aaron Jones is not on the field as much as you would like, but they use him in some weird ways where they have him split out wide with Jamal Williams in the backfield. And they're actually using Aaron Jones as a legitimate wide receiver. I mean, 
that's what happens when an organization doesn't provide its team with adequate wide receivers. But I digress. <laughs> There's no real reason for worry for Aaron Jones. He is still, you know, in games where the Packers are going to be winning, he is going to be running the ball down other teams' throats. He's going to be getting the majority of the goal line work, uh, most of the receiving work, even when Jamal Williams gets, you know, his 10 touches or so. No worry for Aaron Jones moving forward. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I think this was just a game that got out of hand uh, because of uh, two or one pick six and another another interception. Aaron Jones never really had the runway to get going, and then it was over by that point. Nick, I know this is your time, so I'll just give it to you. How do you feel about Ronald Jones after this dominant performance? Man, if at this point Ronald Jones is not the running back one in Tampa Bay, I'm sorry. Bruce Arians is doing himself a disservice all of Tampa a disservice. All Ronald Jones has come in and done is bald. You know, three consecutive games over 100 yards. Um, Again, I'll say it again. He is an adequate receiver. He is not an ideal one. He's a guy who, you know, he can catch a few balls a game, probably should be involved in the passing game to that extent. He should never be James White. He should never be, he should never have that kind of involvement. So, I mean, that uh, caps his upside a little bit, but all he's done is come in and shown that really, and I don't say this lightly at all, that he's playing like one of the best backs in football. And I'm not saying that he is, but that's what he's playing like right now. And he's really earned his 20, 20 touches a game. And I would be very disappointed if he didn't get that moving forward. I think that he's earned it. Um, and, you know, this is not a anything to trash Leonard Fournette, who we both agree is a very good player. Um, it's just that Ronald Jones has been their guy. They drafted him. It turns out that they were right, even if it took a couple years to get there. Definitely in the conversation for me, for most improved player, especially from a fantasy perspective. Nothing to like. Uh, th- there's nothing not to like from Ronald Jones right now. And I think that he's earned a little bit more leeway from the Bucks coaching staff. The only thing I would say is that Leonard Fournette does need to be used. And it's just his usage should not come at the expense of Ronald Jones. Like um, there's a clear need for receiving work out of the backfield in Tampa. LaShawn McCoy is not getting that done. Uh, I'm I'm an Eagles fan. I love LaShawn McCoy. He's a, a uh, a great running back for his career. He's just not it anymore. And Keyshawn Vaughn has pretty much fallen so far out of favor in Tampa that it doesn't really make sense for it to be him. Even though I think that I've seen some I've seen some good flashes from him as a receiving back. Um I think that at this point it makes a lot of sense for uh Leonard Fournette to be used pretty much as the third down back in obvious pa- obvious passing situations, which sucks for Leonard Fournette because he's capable of so much more than that but you ju- you can't real you can't justify taking Ronald Jones off the field at this point that's where we're at I agree um I got to say I was wrong to doubt Ronald Jones I just didn't I guess let me clarify it wasn't that I doubted him 
I just doubted the leash he would have from Bruce Arias because obviously, I mean, I tell you, like I've never had Ronald Jones in fantasy except probably like DFS, but just a mere thought that he could miss a pass, a blocking assignment, or fumble the football or drop a pass one time and get pulled for someone like Peyton Barber. I mean, it just, I, I, it just has a caution sign. But I think at this point, with the way he's been playing, with Fournette not being, I would say, healthy enough to play, um, but obviously no one else on the roster has been able to challenge Ronald Jones. Um, yeah, I think it's his it's his job. And I agree with you from previous tech conversation, text conversations that we have. Uh that Ronald Jones should have built up enough leeway that even if he messes up more than once in a game, that he should still be the starter. Uh, and I guess just a quick note, Rob Gronkowski, tight end for the Bucks, also had his best receiving game of the season, uh, five catches for 78 yards and one touchdown from his old pal Tom Brady. Uh, and over the past two weeks, leaves the team in target, so it looks like his – involvement is starting to ramp up in the Tampa Bay offense. Nick, if would you put Rob Gronkowski on the streaming radar for tight ends, or is he just a flat-out starter? I would say he's still on the streaming radar. Um, you know, there's a good chance that he was drafted during your fantasy football draft just because of his name. You know, people see Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, and they think that, oh, he had a year off. He's probably back to elite tight end status. He's not there. Let's just start there. Um, but given the, the, the shallowness of the tight end position, I think that he has to be in the conversation for borderline starter. I probably wouldn't feel comfortable starting him yet. But he is one of Tom Brady's all-time favorite targets. Um, he's definitely picking up some steam. I just still see him mostly as a red zone threat. Um, you know, the Tampa Bay offense is <laughs> obviously vaunted. Chris Godwin is Chris Godwin's probably a top ten receiver, and Mike Evans is definitely a top ten receiver. So those guys are still going to command their their fair share of targets. So for a guy like Rob Gronkowski, who we all like, has had tremendous fantasy success in the past, it's just hard to see a, a situation where you definitely 100% start him, uh, feel confident about starting him week to week, and feel that he's definitely going to get volume. He's in the conversation, but he's not there yet. Yeah, he's more on the streaming radar for me, um, even though the past two weeks have been uh, better for him than the first four weeks have been. Um, I still need to see more. And I mean, this is all with pretty much Chris Godwin not being on the field and Mike Evans still being hobbled or, you know, having all of the attention uh, from the secondary focused on him. So that's opening everything up for Rob Gronkowski. Um, so I, I just think when Chris Godwin eventually comes back, uh, that we'll start to see Gronk fade just because, you know, the guy, even though he's still a decent player, is still a shell of his former self. Uh, we just got two games left. 
or I'm sorry, three games left. Uh, this is Sunday night football. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Los Angeles Rams 24 to 16 uh, behind Jimmy Garoppolo's three passing touchdowns. Nick, before we go to the 49ers, um, when you look at this Rams backfield, is it even worth predicting anymore? Um, not really. Like right now, and it, and it's like you alluded to. This could change next week. Like it, it's very frustrating. And before I even go into it, Sean McVay, you filthy liar. <laughs> I, I say that kind of jokingly, but it is very frustrating that you know Cam Akers had a heck of a game two weeks ago now um, in limited opportunities where you saw a, a flash of, you know, why they drafted him in the second round with hopes that he would take over the backfield. And then, you know, as, as a coach would rightly say, he says Cam Akers has earned more opportunities, which he did. And then Cam Akers saw the field one time. He, he played one snap this past week, and he went back and he kind of tried to, to justify it, and he said, oh, well, you know, we run this rotation, and, you know, we didn't really have a lot of opportunity. You know, we tried to pass the ball early, so Daryl Henderson didn't really have an opportunity to establish himself. So he only had a couple runs, and we didn't feel like we should take him out yet. And then we, we used Malcolm Brown in, you know, we can use them in any situation, but we mainly use them in passing situations and, you know, ones where he's required to block or maybe catch the ball. But then, you know, we, we start the next drive and we felt like, oh, we didn't get Daryl Henderson going. So we put him back in. And it just got to a point where they were down. They needed, you know, they needed to score points. They were passing the ball and KM makers just didn't have a place. And, and, it's just very frustrating because I genuinely believe that of all of the running backs drafted this year, um, you look at what he went through in college, I think that Cam Akers has the highest upside of all of them uh, in terms of being the total package. And I'm probably biased on that. You know, I, I did my fantasy research prior to the season, and Cam Akers ran behind an awful offensive line in college and still produced at an elite level, which makes me think that with decent offensive line play at the NFL level, he could be incredible and he's just not getting an opportunity. It's incredibly frustrating. I'm just, I'm a little bit sick. I think that if you're just looking at it in a vacuum right now, you can probably start Daryl Henderson as an RB two, maybe a flex. But that could change next week. You know, you could see Cam Akers actually burst onto the scene or something like that. Because it's very clear that at this point you can't trust Sean McVay. Yeah, this backfield is frustrating to project. Um, It looks like when in doubt, Daryl Henderson will be the guy getting the opportunities. But it will only be at the expense of Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown. And who knows, like you said, Cam Akers could get 15 touches next week and then we're right back where we started. Uh, J- Jimmy Garoppolo, 
um, had a pretty good game. I would say it's his best game of the season. I haven't looked into it that far, um, but it looks like he's getting over and or at least has uh, fully recovered from that high ankle sprain. Um, now, normally we don't talk quarterbacks because the position, especially if fantasy football is a dime a dozen, um, unless you got, you know, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or Patrick Mahomes. But he looked good in his performance. Um, the only thing is, I don't think there was a receiver for the 49ers other than George Kittle. You can really rely on for consistent production. So, I guess the question comes when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo. If you're playing in a one quarterback league, can you start him? Can you start him? You can, but you shouldn't. Like you really shouldn't. There are much better uh, quarterback options out there, probably on waivers, because I mean Jimmy Garoppolo plays in an offense where they basically say, "Whoa." Buddy, you don't need to do all the work, my man. We got running backs who can do the job. And, you know, when you throw, you're really not going to be throwing in a – you're not going to throw to anybody who puts you in a position to make an error. And when it comes to, like, fantasy, that's just not really conducive to uh, most teams' fantasy success at the quarterback position. Like, this week, he ended up finishing with 23.5 fantasy points. You look at it and you're like, that's not bad. Like that's a, that's a pretty darn good game. But like the way that he went about getting those, like you, you think about the targets that went to Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel had, <laughs> I'm not joking, negative six air yards, which means that the the passes that he received for the net of the game were six yards behind the line of scrimmage. Jimmy Garoppolo was not throwing that ball. Like he was basically handing it off. And that's not really something that you can trust in terms of fantasy output moving forward. Like Debo Samuel is a talented player with the ball in his hands. He's not going to be able to get to the end zone and get Jimmy Garoppolo four points for us or for a passing touchdown uh, every game like that. So no, you don't really trust him. You can put him in your starting lineup, but you shouldn't. Yeah, I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo always projects as more of a QB, too. And if the matchup's right, he could put up a QB1 performance, but I wouldn't bank on it. Um, Now we get to the two Monday Night Football games, which was exciting. I would like for them to do more Monday Night Doubleheaders, um, but I know they're only doing it because of the coronavirus uh, implications. But be that as it may, the first of the two games – uh, put the Kansas City Chiefs against the Buffalo Bills. The Chiefs won 26-17. to 17. Uh, Clyde Edwards E-Lair, because you know, we're emphasizing that the H is silent, had 26 catch it, uh, sorry, carries for 161 yards, had four catches on four targets for eight yards. Nick, do you think when it comes to uh, CEH, do you think this game, which was probably his second best game of the year, fantasy wise, do you think this made it made you, if you have CH in your team, easier to trust him once Le'Veon Bell is able to start practicing, or was this just how the game went? Definitely think it's how the game went. 
Um, you think about the conditions. It was downpouring the whole game. The Chiefs hardly threw the ball. Um, and frankly, there was no reason to, to throw the ball. The run game was working. So it hurts me to say it, but I still think that when it's all said and done, you know, you add Le'Veon Bell to this offense, he's going to be the one who's working mostly at the goal line because Clyde Edwards Elair is, you know, he's sort of diminutive. He's he's smaller in stature. Bell definitely projects more as a goal line back. Um, Bell will eat into some of the, the receiving targets that CEH was getting. He'll definitely eat into some of those uh, carries. And most games, the Chiefs just aren't going to run the ball like they did this past game. Like, it's not going to rain. It's not going to downpour every single game for Kansas City. So uh, even though he had a tremendous game from a yardage standpoint, still doesn't manage to get into the end zone. That's going to be an issue all year, uh, which caps any running back's upside. You know, even Christian McCaffrey wouldn't be tremendous if he never found the end zone. So, uh, unfortunately, still disappointed in CEH's uh, fantasy prospects moving forward. Yeah, it was a it was a great game running the football, but you would have liked to see more in the passing game, and obviously you would have liked to see him at least get the one rushing touchdown that for some reason went to backup running back Daryl Williams. But you'll take the performance and you know, Le'Veon Bell is definitely gonna cut into CH's workload. Are you worried about Josh Allen after his two most recent terrible games? Not really. Not really. Um, especially from a fantasy perspective. You know, kind of like we talked about with Cam Newton where Josh Allen is or where Cam Newton is the running threat. It's kind of the same thing with Josh Allen. Like, I know that when when he's passing the ball well, he won't run as much. But at the goal line, Josh Allen's still a big threat. And um, again, I, I really come back to the conditions that were yesterday. You know, he was forced to try to come from behind and win this game. But throwing in that downpour, I know they, they say, you know, you should be able to throw in the rain. They, they even made a comment on that on the broadcast. That's not easy to do. Like, it's, it's harder to grip the ball when it's downpouring like that. I'm not really concerned about Josh Allen. I think that the receiving weapons are there. I think that better days are definitely ahead. And also, you got to remember, the Kansas City defense is uh, pretty darn good in the secondary. You know, they have Rashad Breland, um, Honey Badger. It's not a, an easy team to throw against, so not too worried about Josh Allen. Yeah, I'm not too worried about him either. I mean, the past couple of games have been, uh, I guess you could say, lackluster compared to the first four. Um, but that could just be because of the result of the games. Um, obviously, the MVP talk on Josh Allen has cooled off, um, but I still think easily a QB1 and probably a top five quarterback when it comes to fantasy. Um, can you drop Devin Singletary? Not yet, no. Um, I think that I actually. I think we disagree a little bit on this. I think Devin Singletary is actually a pretty talented player. Like usually, if you think back to last year, 
is pretty efficient with his touches. He's a solid receiver out of the backfield. Um, and he did that last year with Frank Gore. A lot of people compare Zach Moss to Frank Gore. I don't think that's quite the best comparison. But Zach Moss is a guy who uh, is definitely, and it pains me to say it, a drop candidate at this point because he's just not getting, excuse me, he's not getting enough work to um, justify his, you know, rostership, if you will, at this very moment. I think, kind of like we talked about with Cam Akers, there's a good chance that he will cont- he will get more touches moving forward, but we're not there yet. And until you know, you see a little bit more, he could be on he he could safely be dropped to waivers. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want either guy in his in his Buffalo backfield just because I think the most fantasy relevant running back might be Josh Allen. So. I mean, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss haven't been particularly impressive, so I guess we'll just take that as we go. And then the nightcap for Monday Night Football was the Arizona Cardinals against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the, <laughs> the Cardinals put the absolute beat down on the Cowboys, thirty-eight to ten. I guess we have to start for Nick. Can you finally? Finally, trust Kenyon Drake again. Sort of. Like, <laughs> you trust that he's getting the volume, right? Like, Kenyon Drake is a very athletic player. Um, and you, you, I will say this. You started to see more plays where they were getting him out on the edge, which is more to his strength. Like, you don't really want Kenyon Drake running into the uh, offensive line like 20 times a game. That's not what he does. He's not going to push the pile like that. But if you can get him into space, that's where he's going to make more plays. And it was good to see that he started to get more of those. Um, If you have Kenyon Drake, you probably spent like a third round pick on him. So you still have to put him into your lineup. Um, He's still getting the work. He's getting the goal line touches. You have to keep playing him. There's There's going to be games like this. But there's going to be worse days ahead too. And um, something that we talked about, he might be a guy that you look into trading at this point because, I mean, the highs are high and the lows are low. And what you need in fantasy football is a little bit more consistency. And Kenyon Drake does not profile as a consistent fantasy football player. Yeah, I I don't – I mean, he looked good last night. Uh, It was just – I think it was just the perfect storm. And it's rare that the running back is going to get the perfect matchup. I just think Dallas has the worst defense in the league, or at least the second worst. And, you know, they got two turnovers out of Ezekiel at just the right time for their team to capitalize on. And then once they had momentum, that's when you actually saw Kenyon Drake, you know, ball out. He didn't do anything before the game was well in hand. So that kind of worries me. I mean, you don't have to worry about Chase Edmonds. I mean, you never really did because he wasn't getting significant touches. It was just that Chase Evans was just looking better than Kenyon Drake. But obviously, this quells those worries a little bit. And lastly, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, normally not a story um, because he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. And in fantasy, 
had 12 carries for 49 yards, also had eight tar- 11 targets and caught eight of them for 31 yards, but he had two fumbles. Nick, with those two fumbles, if you have Ezekiel Elliott on your team, are you worried about him, or was this just one of those games? Well, I would say with the two fumbles, not so worried. I am a little bit worried that he has fumbled five times this year and has lost four of them. That's a little bit, not a little bit, that's excessive. Like that gets any running back who hasn't gotten their big contract, that gets them benched, like seriously benched. Like not for one game bench, like could be benched for a prolonged amount of time. But he is Ezekiel Elliott and he did get his contract. So you know that they are going to continue to feed him and hand him the ball. Um, The one thing that actually does worry me about him is that if Andy Dalton continues to play like he did this past week, um, teams are going to take a little bit, teams are going to focus a little bit less on the pass and a little bit more on the run and stopping Ezekiel Elliott. And this offensive line is not what it was, is not what it has been, you know, said to be uh, for the past few years. It's not that anymore. It's not the best offensive line in football, and Ezekiel Elliott is not running behind it. I think he's good enough to, you know, overcome that and still have very productive days. But his upside is a little bit capped as long as the passing game isn't flying and the offensive line isn't what it used to be. So um, even though he's a surefire running back one moving forward, maybe he's not so much the running back two or running back three overall that you kind of hoped for at this point, given the injuries that have been sustained to say Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. He might fall more into like the six to eight range, which is still very good. It's just not what you had hoped for. Agreed. Um, I'm not worried about his place on the Cowboys. I think, you know, they've already paid him. Money that I guess, depending on who you listen to in the organization, they've already regretted. But the point is, they paid the guy, and he's still one of the best running backs in the league. So I think he's going to continue to get the opportunities. But this might mean that Tony Pollard might get more work, at least to spell Zeke, because obviously it looks like the fumbles are becoming a mental issue. Not necessarily mental, like he can't figure out why it's happening, but just like it's getting in his head. And maybe getting him off the field can, you know, calm that anxiety. So there goes your week six uh, review. Uh, It did take us longer than normal, but we wanted to make sure we hit on at least every team and give you advice moving forward. Uh, Nick, do you have any closing remarks before we get out of here? Um. Not really. Just, you know, same kind of deal that it's been the past few weeks if you've been listening. Hit us with your questions. Let us know how you like the format. Um, Give us a follow at Full Contact Pod on Instagram, on Twitter. Friend us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. All that good stuff. Um, It definitely helps us grow and, you know, be able to give you guys more content. So that is my shameless plug. How about you, Sharif? Uh... Just thank everybody for uh, listening. Um, We appreciate your listenership. And yeah, we would love if you could give us some feedback on especially this new format because it might take us a little longer, but we just want to make sure we hit on everything. Nick, why don't you uh, take us out for the night? All right. 
Sounds good. And thanks for doing the show, Sharif. Thank you as well, Nick. Always a pleasure. Absolutely.